All right, all right, all right. We are back, and it's a full house here. We got Eric Kress. We got Adam Telfer. And the one and only <laughs> Joseph Kim. <laughs> so I'm going to ask how Eric and Adam are doing. I'm not going to ask how JK is doing because we did a whole goddamn podcast about how JK is doing. So we're not talking about JK in this episode. <laughs> so Eric, tell me more about your kids' base, uh, not baseball, but basketball games, right? <laughs> Our basketball games. Yes, they uh, were. They keep. I think they've had like 30 games already in the last couple of months. It's just unbelievable. And they were killing it. So they were like, I don't know, 19 and two in the third grade league. So they're number one in Northern California right now. Um, Damn. So, so that's, that's uh, your retirement fund, right? Nah, you know, he's still, <laughs> he's still half white, dude. Has no cops. You know, he's just really tall right now. So I don't know. I don't know what his future is going to be in the NBA, but he's definitely competitive in third grade at five foot two. <laughs> Well, how about uh, how about how about Adam? How's how's life? You're in London right now, right? Yeah, I'm in London. Uh, it's been good, actually. I'm doing a little bit of an European tour at the moment. Um, always good to come out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, managed to go back to Berlin, hanging with a bunch of Wugas. So it's always good. That's awesome. Any rumors? Rumors? Uh, not so much. <laughs> I, I think they're definitely enjoying the the Platzika acquisition. So they're they're pretty happy. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a cushy acquisition that, that leaves them some space, but um, but we're not here to talk about Wuga. We're here, at least not in this episode. In this episode, we're going to tackle on some interesting topics. Sorry, JK, I just want to read through this. I haven't been in, on this podcast for a while, but so it, uh, JK got us interesting topics. So we're going to talk about Microsoft and Sony forming a cloud gaming and AI partnership now that's a that's a crazy title anyway that's eric uh we're gonna talk about minecraft earth i don't know anything about minecraft earth sounds like uh is that a mobile game hmm anyway we'll hear about that later and pokemon masters everything we know so far and finally we're going to talk about something really interesting and that is ricardo zaccone uh the to step down as a CEO of King, and that'll be probably our our last topic. But but let's start start with something ubiquitous, uh, which is the Microsoft and Sony forming a cloud gaming partnership. Eric, do you want to talk more about this? Sure. Yeah. So basically, there was some kind of like official announcement from the bigwigs at Sony and Microsoft about a partnership around uh, Azure um, and AI. I, the reporting around this was like so wacky, right? You know, the details were really scarce. Um, and there's a lot of coverage that was speculative about what was going on here. Here's what we kind of know. Sony Corporate signed a memorandum of understanding to use Microsoft Azure for hosting and services and AI. Uh, in my opinion, like Amazon, uh, the, Amazon was the, pri- the partner for Sony historically. So it's actually kind of a big loss for Amazon and their AWS system. Uh, they say that the decision was primarily related to cost, uh, and Sony PlayStation had absolutely no idea that this was going on, which is the funniest part of the whole thing. They had no idea that they were signing this a partnership with their biggest competitor, right? It's ridiculous, right? Um, in a separate presentation during the earnings call, Sony said they had the infrastructure to support 5 million subs for its flailing PlayStation Now platform. So in essence... My assumption, my takeaway is that this has nothing to do with PlayStation Now necessarily, particularly in the short term, maybe in the long term. But 
this was not a decision based upon what the gaming company needs. This was a primarily a cost decision from Sony to get the best system possible for the best cost for delivering all their hosting and, and live services. So Sony is likely partnering with Microsoft to reduce costs and obviously leverage their technology for longer term investment in the streaming services. And it just shows how archaic their Sony's structure is and very how political things are. Because if something a decision like this should be made with the gaming guys, right, to make sure that, that it aligns with their strategy on how they're rolling out PlayStation and also on their PlayStation Now plans. And in essence, by partnering with Microsoft, they're giving a piece of every single revenue associated with PlayStation, PlayStation, poss- potentially anyway, to to their biggest competitor. So. I don't know. This is kind of a big deal in some ways. Um, And I think it's also an acknowledgement that Sony's technology is not strong enough to stand alone, right? They're basically, you know, their acquisition was good for for where where it is right now, but but ultimately they need to partner with someone with better tech in order to deliver the next gen type uh, streaming services. And and there was a lot of press that this actually validates Google Stadia. I think it's kind of on the contrary. It, it creates another, com- maybe it does validate them to some degree, but actually creates them an, another c- competitor that's on equal footing from a technology perspective. And ultimately, so- Sony has vastly superior content to deliver as well. So it's actually a really bad news for uh, Stadia. Uh, I think it's really good news for Microsoft. And it's also, I think, really bad news for Sony, right? Because now not only... Are they acknowledging the fact that their their infrastructure and their technology is not as good as uh, to and they need to leverage Microsoft's tech, <clears throat> but uh, but also they're actually paying out Microsoft, you know, on all their hosting and, and live services. So anyway, I, I it's really I, I want to be clear. I'm making a lot of assumptions and I'm making a lot of speculations here because there was just not a lot of detail. It was a memory of understanding. They haven't even signed an official deal. This may thing may fall through, and now maybe that. That the gaming guys know that they're going to, you know, do this deal with Microsoft. They're going to say, "No, we're not doing this." But what? Who knows what will happen? But that's kind of my take. What do you think, J.K.? Yeah, from my perspective, I agree with you. It's it's very unusual for two really direct competitors to be collaborating in the way that they are. And so maybe you're right. It's like there was some kind of miscommunication or something like that happened. But um, you know, if if they kind of went in, into this, you know, all. With with full knowledge, it does make me believe that you know both Microsoft and Sony are probably worried about getting displaced if there is some kind of structural shift based upon cloud-based gaming. So from that perspective, if they're collaborating to help fight off Google, Apple, Amazon, whoever else becomes a threat, then that makes sense. But also agree with you that Microsoft definitely has the most to gain, given you know they're already kind of losing the console wars to to Sony and Nintendo. And on the Sony side, you know, it, it, you can view it as, as a negative, but uh, also to your point about their technical infrastructure, it, it's clearly not there. So, you know, may, maybe it's okay for them as well. Uh, besides that, I don't, don't have much else to say. Mishka or Adam, you guys got anything? Nope. No, nothing. <laughs> okay. No, not really. I mean, it it goes like back to the bingo. Like, these are the games that yeah. I don't play. <clears throat> So, Minecraft? Minecraft. All right, let me get started on this. So, um, yeah, this week there's a Wired article um, titled, Minecraft Earth Wants to Be the Next Pokemon Go, But Bigger. Very exciting headline. 
Um, the, the actual article summary is essentially um, explaining the history and how Minecraft Earth came to be. Minecraft Earth is an upcoming uh, game from Microsoft and the, Microsoft and the Minecraft team, uh, which is their take on the Pokemon Go uh, geolocation craze. Uh, with essentially taking the IP and the audience of Minecraft and bringing it over to Pokemon Go location-based gaming. Um, just to kind of set the stage about Minecraft and kind of the size of it, uh, it's about 10 years old now. Uh, it sold 176 million copies over that time. Um, it's a premium product, of course, uh, and currently is sitting at about 90 million now. Um, but if you actually look at the history and the trends of where Minecraft is, when we think about, you know, like Apex versus Fortnite, actually Minecraft was hit far harder by Fortnite than any other game. Uh, you can see actually just on Twitch stats, just how deep the impact Fortnite was towards their audience. Uh, so you can definitely assume that Microsoft is on the back heel right now with their Minecraft audience and trying to figure out how to capture that audience once again. Um, so with this game, it's definitely the first new Minecraft experience um, since the original. Uh, you can kind of ignore Telltale and some of the other kind of off-brand games that were created. Um, it was created in part by Alex Kipman. Uh, there was a few other names in the article, but this is the one that kind of stood out to me. Uh, he's the creator of HoloLens, uh, as well as kind of uh, was involved in the Kinect development, uh, if you remember those two major Microsoft projects. Um, so I'll go into this a little bit into my take, but of course, um, this means that I think this project is a bit more focused on the novelty of the technology, maybe not actually trying to create a game, which was kind of what the plague was of Kinect. Uh, um, the article actually goes into the details over the many failed and restarted attempts since 2015, roughly, to bring augmented reality to the Minecraft IP. Um, so it kind of reads actually more like almost like a university or like a a company with a lot of internal struggles about how to actually come up with a vision of a product that would supersede Minecraft. Um, but overall, in the end, it also explains a little bit about the game. It has some videos, uh, which I would encourage you to check out. Um, but essentially, it's a location-based game. So think very much Pokemon Go, which is a game about collecting and building. Um, so collecting aspects is moving around the world. So similar to Pokemon Go or uh, Jurassic Park World Alive, you're moving to different locations in the real world, which allows you to collect certain blocks. Uh, those blocks and resources can then be used to create, uh, say, custom Minecraft um, buildings, structures, uh, worlds, adventures uh, that you can then go on. So uh, collection, which allows you to kind of customize and create. Um, it has a lot of collaborative building elements, and this is what a lot of the article is actually focusing on, is when, say, you go over to a friend's house or you're over with a friend and you can actually be building a Minecraft building together in AR. And actually from the video, this actually looks pretty cool uh, in terms of placing uh, structures and gets around a lot of the, um, the issues with augmented reality controls on a mobile device. Um, as well as you can kind of invite friends to work and collaborate in these worlds. And they can even say, destroy or take some of your blocks. So all very interesting concepts, but I would definitely say uh, this has a lot of red flags, uh, at least from my perspective as a, say, more game designer. Um, so my take on Minecraft Earth in terms of the concept and what we know so far, on day one, I would definitely expect there to be a, a lot of phallic uh, Minecraft buildings. I think when we think back <laughs> to any of these kind of user-generated content platforms, um, you're, you're giving an entire, yeah, you're pretty much giving the planet 
a public space in which to to put graffiti out there uh, to build out all these different Minecraft buildings. And I think it's going to be pretty quick before people start abusing that power. Um, but besides uh, the obvious user-generated content issues, uh, my biggest worry from this is trying to define what exactly the game is from it. Um, so Minecraft, if you think about that, uh, the original game was actually an amazing kind of survival crafting and collection game just on its own in terms of moving around the world, um, like breaking apart blocks, using those resources to, to craft and create a whole new world. Uh, the actual customization and building element, you know, it was something more of, say, the long tail element um, and definitely uh, a good aspiration for players, but not necessarily the core that brought players into the game to begin with. Um, so... AR 10 games have actually tended to kind of be kind of plagued by this where they end up focusing too much on kind of the technical novelty of AR and not actually trying to make a long lasting game. Uh, Pokemon Go was actually one of the best examples of this or sorry, the best game that kind of broke outside of this because they took what was good about location based gaming and AR, but the actual core game and what it is is a very well functioning mobile gotcha collection game and it functions just on its own with it. Even before they added battle elements, it was still a very, very good game on its own. Minecraft Earth is a little bit odd in terms of how it's implementing this. It seems like it has some elements of that. Um, we'll see when the game actually comes out in terms of collecting and leveling up to kind of collect or to actually build up some of these worlds. But overall, the system seems pretty simple with the main output just being kind of creative expression. So overall, I would say this is very risky. There are some adventures you can go on by yourself, um, but these seem pretty pre-placed, and I think this will kind of make or break the experience. So beyond that, if you kind of have a very simple system tying this all together, I would say monetization will most likely be a major weak point. Uh, and the article even explains a little bit about this, saying that they'll have some build plates and blocks that you can purchase, but that seems pretty slim in comparison to uh, Pokemon Go. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, it's available in beta this summer, um, but we'll see at that point. Uh, Eric, do you want to go? Sure. You know, I'm um, not much to add here, uh, but I do will. I do think that this is really kind of a true AR game because, so in a sense, essence, it's kind of unique from that perspective. I still don't think that Pokemon Go is an AR game, even though every presentation I've seen about AR says that you know includes that revenue as part of the market. But whatever. Um, I see like uh, kind of a some challenges. I think I agree with you. The monetization monetization design looks really weak. Uh, Pokemon Go had consumables to keep people playing uh, and spending um, and, and much more of a chase than it seems that Minecraft has, but it's hard to say given how early this is. The other thing I would add is that for Minecraft, um, they're basically competing against themselves, right? There was really no alternative for Pokemon Go at the time. Pokemon, that was the experience for Pokemon and that maintains the experience for quite a while now until the, uh, until the new release of, of Pokemon this, this holiday. So, you know, Minecraft is an amazing game. You can play on all platforms. So basically they have to compete against themselves on, on all their different platforms or on, on mobile device. Um, and the other thing is AR is unproven. So it's like, we don't know how well AR can do. And if you believe the Pokemon Go style of game is an AR game, every sequel that's come out since then has been terrible, right? You know, with big, huge licenses like Jurassic Park, um, and, uh, and, uh, the, uh, uh, God, why am I blanking on names these <laughs> days? But what's the, what's the, the walking dead. Oh my gosh. Walking dead. Sorry. Those sequels or those, uh, 
try iterations on trying to take advantage of what the Pokemon Go did just bombed, you know, and they're huge licenses and not poorly designed games necessarily. So anyway, I think it's it, it's going to be interesting to see how if they can break through on this. And these are really, really hard games to predict, um, you know, you know, so but we'll see how the beta goes over the summer. Cool. And from my perspective, I'm very skeptical of long-term success. I think I read into the situation pretty much what you had read into it, Adam, which is uh, too much focus on on the sort of technical aspect. And so I could 100% be wrong, but it did sound like this game was more of a tech demo looking for a game rather than a game trying to be a game. It sounded like a few technically and sort of BD-oriented people got caught up in that sort of whiz-bang HoloLens demo and, you know, just kind of took it from there. And so while you can never count out top-tier IP like Minecraft, but without much more context besides what we read in that article, you know, I personally usually bank on key personnel. And what I wasn't reading from there was who the lead designers were and really mainly reading more about a few folks that were kind of technical and BD focused, trying to overcome a lot of very interesting technical challenges. So generally speaking, I would say those situations in my experience don't tend to do very well, but you know, as a product, I'm definitely rooting for it. My kids love Minecraft and I'd love for a way to to have them have more reasons to get out of the house. So I think that'd be great. And I would just say the one other concern that I would have for the game would be the audience. So if you look at Facebook audience insights and you know, and Facebook actually only captures people who are 18 or over. But if you look at Facebook audience insights for Pokemon Go, for example, and use that as, as, as a point of comparison, you see that 73% of uh, Facebook players of Pokemon Go have a college degree. And then we also, as, as Adam, you noted before, that there was actually quite a bit of cannibalization from Fortnite, which also would tend to indicate that Minecraft skews super young. So... Um, so then, you know, if you have a game like Pokemon Go that's uh, potentially achieving a lot of their success through an older audience and Minecraft, which skews super young, is there, if we're comparing those those two opportunities, then, uh, are, you know, will, will the younger players monetize uh, and play this kind of game where you have to go outside with phones? So not clear on that part. But So I guess long story short, I, I'm skeptical, but definitely hope that uh, the product does well just because I, I think it's it's kind of an interesting product. Mishka, did you have any other thoughts, or should we roll on? No, into I think Pokemon you guys covered Masters? everything. It's um, I'm I'm not very very uh, very understanding of the location based games. Like you can't get me out with a phone. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, so <laughs> I. <laughs> All right. So moving on. Pokemon Masters. Everything we know so far by uh, a publication called Imor. And just a quick summary of this article. So there was a surprise Pokemon event on May 28th where the Pokemon company announced a couple of new products, uh, one which was called Pokemon Go Plus. Kind of a, a strange product to announce, but it seems like it's an activity tracker that includes sleep tracking and somehow helps train Pokemon in your sleep. And then they also announced a Pokemon game being developed by DNA called Pokemon Masters. And it's a, it's a battle game that tries to incorporate all of, the, all of the trainers in every past Pokemon game into a single game. And what, what do we know about the game so far? Well, very little, but there were some screenshots in that article that showed a 3v3 
three versus three battle. Uh, 3v3 meaning like three trainers with an associated Pokemon uh, battling against three others, so not three players. In the battles, actions seem pretty simple. So for each of the trainers with a Pokemon, there was like an attack, special attack, and, and potion option. And there seemed to be like a shared power meter that seems to enable the special attacks, but shared across the, the three trainers that you control. So release date info is not very clear, just sometime in 2019, but more info should be released about the game later this month. And so my own take on this is that I think this is good news, despite some of the other Pokemon battle games, which haven't done super well. I do think DNA knows how to monetize, and this seems to be a more straight up Pokemon battle experience than some of the other games that have been released. So I'm actually fairly optimistic on this one and feel it could actually break out both in Japan and in the West. But uh, we'll see. What do you guys think, Adam? Uh, yeah, so the Dinah thing is interesting, especially since I think last podcast I definitely ripped into uh, Mario Kart Tour quite a bit. So it's a similar developer for there. So uh, that definitely gives me a little bit less faith. But I guess this is with the Pokemon company itself rather than Nintendo, which are uh, very different. Um, but it will be, yeah, I, I think I'm also with you, JK, in terms of the design here. It looks like they've got a strong basis. So the switch to go towards 3v3 versus uh, 1v1, which would be, say, a traditional Pokemon game, uh, was the right choice. Um, I've gone into this quite a bit on Deconstructor of Fun blog posts about how important it is to kind of have that kind of wide turn-based battle to keep things interesting. And uh, it was a smart decision to go towards 3v3. Um, as well as moving into this like all trainers thing. So hopefully this means you can actually collect like a ton of your favorite trainers from the series. Uh, I would equate this something towards like Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy Exuvus, uh, which was a fairly successful game for Square. Um, I like in terms of as a Pokemon fan myself, I probably couldn't name a ton of Pokemon trainers that I would want to collect, but uh, I'm assuming uh, after kind of the first initial fall off, they can kind of create some value because they just have so many different types of Pokemon that players will want to be collecting. Um, so there should be quite a bit of reason to collect as many different trainers as you can. Um, so overall, it looks like actually it could be a competent Pokemon RPG game with a strong RPG design with loot boxes, gotcha, etc. Um, from Pokemon Company. Um, but I've also been proven wrong. So they've shown a bunch of games in the past which have a strong core, uh, which look like it could actually monetize, and most of them haven't really succeeded. That would be Pokemon Duel, um, Pokemon Trading Card Game, Pokemon Quest, or all attempts to do similar but definitely failed. Um, I'm, I forget which developers developed each one of those, um, but I think only Pokemon Duel was with Dana, and that wasn't really a strong... Uh, yeah, that wasn't a strong game. So uh, overall, I'm optimistic, um, but I'd really like to know more. Um, Eric, do you want to go? Yeah, I think I almost agree with everything you said. Uh, you know, they're histor historically, they just have not had much success. Pokemon Company has not had success of bringing games to mobile. And to be clear, this is absolutely not a Nintendo game. Nintendo owns, like, I think 20% of Pokemon Company, but they are not at all involved with the development of this game it seems and dna is not a premier partner you know this is not like this they're not replicating the success of fire emblem with this game generally you know generally speaking and the, the the only real concern i have that you know the incremental uh point of view from what you said is that this is really bad timing for a pokemon game 
you know, if if the game is actually successful and and gets the fans involved, I mean, they're releasing one of their biggest games of this generation of Switch uh, this holiday, so they don't want to compete against themselves. Uh, so I don't know. And again, because they're not the same company, and people seem to forget this, <laughs> is that they don't have you know they're not really concerned about what Nintendo's doing. They're just doing their own thing. So. I don't think because, you know, in November, when this new game comes out, they don't want to have a competing product on mobile. I think that'd be a bad idea. So, yeah, we'll see how that all nets out. Um, and I uh, and we'll see if they actually can finally create a good Pokemon game on mobile. Um, yeah. So look, looking at this, I mean, I'm not a f- MK. Yeah, uh, I'm not a fan of Pokemon in, in any way. So I can look at it objectively. And then uh, the thing is, like, uh, there, there's four Pokemon games launched on mobile alone and what we can see is is the pokemon shuffle um has been uh, i mean there's pokemon shuffle there's pokemon duel and there's pokemon quest and all together these three these three games throughout all their lifetimes have generated about close to 40 million in in um in lifetime rev net revenue and about 70 million in installs so that, that you know that doesn't blow your hair back of course if you had pokemon go that's a whole different story so it kind of seems like they're there's they're one out of three and majority of the revenue seems to be coming from you know it's kind of divided between us and japan so so you know it's it's not a it doesn't seem like a like a marvel ip where it, you basically slap it on an, on a game. It doesn't matter whether it's a puzzle RPG or a regular RPG or MMORPG or or RPG of, or card collection RPG. It's still going to do relatively well. In this case, it seems a little bit more of a hit and miss. Seems still like a like a solid solid um, IP for for uh, for RPGs. But you know, it's 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 hard to predict that this would be something major, and it will always be smaller than Pokemon Go. So. Um, again, just not a not a big fan, and I can I'm just looking at it objectively. It's like one out of four, so till 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 date. All right. Oh, any anything to add, guys? Wow, it's just like it's like no, the silence. So before the this podcast article. started, Eric was very adamant that we cannot speak on top of each other and now as a as the senior on this podcast everybody's afraid to just say anything now so, so all right so let's let's move to the uh the last one and that is uh ricardo zaccone is stepping down as the ceo of king so uh ricardo is the uh ceo uh, was the ceo and, and actually is a co-founder of king and he will be stepping up stepping down as the ceo in july uh, Zaccone has been in charge of the Candy Crush developer for 16 years, and he will in the future take the position as a chairman. Um, you know, as as during his time, he's he's um, he's definitely been super successful, um, super su- successful CEO, and he's been actually the only CEO uh, of the company since 2003. Uh, and as we know, in 2015, November 2015, King was acquired for $5.9 billion. So it's definitely a mission accomplished for, for uh, Zaccone. But it's kind of the way I see it, there's kind of two reasons why he's, he's stepping down apart from like, well, apart from the, the mission accomplished. And it's now four years since the acquisition. Uh, I think Number one is that it's it's a part of this larger Activision leadership team shuffle. So in January this year, Activision Blizzard restructured into three business units, 
with a new president appointed for each of them. The Call of Duty Executive Vice President, Rob Costage, was named Activision President. The former CFO uh, and Chief Strategy Officer, Humam Saknini, I'm hoping I'm not butchering his name, has been named uh, King Digital's President. So that's that's under the um, uh, King was under that. And the CFO, Dennis Durkin, has been named President of Activision Blizzard's Emerging Businesses. And he will be also the, uh, the CFO of the company. And as we've seen during the last time, during the, uh, the past year, the Blizzard was seeing more and more of Activision influence seep into the company. And the goal has been clearly to reduce the cost and, and make more games at the same time. And that was kind of coincided with Morheim's uh, departure from the company. I think the, the, the same the same elements are probably at play with King. Of course, King is in a different position as Blizzard. Uh, they're definitely extremely profitable. I, I'm sure Blizzard is as well, but but you know King is probably on a little bit of another level due to the uh, the nature of the business. Uh, but for sure, there has been cost cutting at King, and we've seen that in form of uh, closure of studios and even layoffs, despite the company being um, you know highly profitable. There's no there's no dip in revenues. There's nothing like that. But still, they went through that that same um, bad exercise of of you know reducing the eight percent of the of the workforce. So that's number one is the is the larger Activision leadership team shuffle. The other one is is performance. So when you look at King, you know, over the past two years, the the revenue has stayed pretty stable at around ninety to one hundred twenty million uh, net revenue a month. Nevertheless, um, yeah, the decline since January two thousand nineteen has been quite significant um, in terms of those games. I'm not sure why it why it's so, but but during the uh, the last quarter, the company's revenue have definitely declined. But nevertheless, it's it's more about the growth of the Candy Crush saga combined with inability to launch new hit franchises and really the inability to expand outside the puzzle category. So we've seen King launch Paradise Bay back in the day, sort of a heyday um, heyday competitor. Uh, we've seen them struggle in launching mid-core games, actually failed to launch a single mid-core game. And there was this infamous Call of Duty um, project or projects that were going on and they were recruiting for those uh, around the world, but failed to to ship anything. And and when it comes to performance, we have to talk about the competitors and, and King's market share in the category that they pretty much, you know, developed and then helped to grow the mar- their market share has been decreasing year by year whether it's peak coming in with their with their you know focus of blast and match games whether it's playrix coming out with with their sort of a more of like a narrative uh, visual storytelling little bit of a simulation type of games or whether it's matching to mansion for fox i i, I don't remember firecraft studio whatever it is uh, that that little small developer. Uh, so whether it's those coming in with their with their ultra aggressive marketing uh, practices, nevertheless, King has been losing its share in the market. So while their revenue has been stable, the overall size of the market has grown. So they're taking a smaller piece of the pie. So overall, kind of combining this to performance and and the leadership shuffle, we have to say that the looking from the sidelines, King is definitely not. What it was, what it, today's King is not what it used to be, and one thing that we knew King from, and at least personally I knew King from, was was that they were extremely fast at iterating on their web platform. They're trying a lot of new things, trying a lot of new elements, and then pushing those games out uh, to a, to a wider audience on different platforms. 
at the moment we see King barely do a couple of soft launch a year and and that the amount of soft launch they've been doing is almost halved every year to uh, to a point where they're probably going to soft launch one or two one game maybe this year so it's uh, if if the trend continues so so that's one thing and the second one is that that um that before they used to have a wide variety of puzzle games oh i mean everything you can match everything you can blast everything you can shoot they would do it and all the colors were popping and then more games were coming out and so forth but now it just seems like they're focused on one or two key franchises it's candy crush this candy crush that soda this soda that and um and maybe maybe some farm hero saga but we we really haven't seen them you know expand around those and that's naturally the activision approach of just you know really focusing on the, on the franchises and and instead of instead of having this um robust um buffet of of different match games now of course i might be wrong and and um this is just me being nostalgic and thinking about what king was back in the days but you have to say that it's different it doesn't matter whether today is better or worse. It's just it's very different than the company that Zaconi and, and the guys uh, originally um, started. So that's my take, um, Adam. Yeah, uh, I'm just gonna say this is coming from you, from Rovio, <laughs> <laughs> that has been working on Angry Birds games for the last decade. <laughs> In terms of adding the Angry Birds IP to pretty much every single game, that <laughs> Dude, that's could. that's pretty good. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think you've seen firsthand in terms of the power of a lasting franchise and a lasting IP uh, can have on a game, right? Um, so yeah, I'm not going to comment too much on Zaconi and kind of his cultural impact internally. Um, I, I completely agree with you in terms of him being a part of just a massive transition for King from kind of their web game roots uh, to today. Like while I was actually working at Wooga, um, I was there during that transition of Candy Crush from Facebook to mobile. Um, really saw that kind of like leapfrog of an entire genre uh, on, on casual mobile. And it was, it was um, yeah, no, they, huge kudos to that team for, for what they did with Candy Crush. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to debate you on that, that in terms of, like the old timey kind of strategy being the way that they should go back to. I, I just don't see that being successful in the market anymore. Like if you think about their old strategy, they launch a game on royalgames.com. Uh, they see, you know, initial metrics um, from that web game. And then they decide whether to do a production of that game. That production lasts, you know, maybe half a year to get that game out to mobile. Um, and then there you have, you know, Pet Rescue Saga. I think there was like, what was it? Rubber Ducky <laughs> Saga. Um, there was that Mexican Bean one where they were combining stuff. Like they, they were going pretty wide, even within kind of the matching genre. And if you think about matching games over the last like multiple decades, thinking back even back to PopCap um, with all of those games and even Playrix back then, that's that was their bread and butter was to continually deliver novelty onto real arcade and onto all those web platforms uh, or downloadable PC platforms um, to try to keep players coming back. It worked then, but it just doesn't work now. Um, the major IP of Candy Crush just can't really. Uh, there's no uh, there's no replacement for mm. that. Uh, and I, I know from from rumors, at least, is that they do plenty of behind the scenes soft launches. So in terms of us looking at App Annie and saying, oh, King, you know, only did two soft launches. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're actually doing substantially more than that, just not under the name of King. 
Um, and even just within looking at the King name on the soft launches, I think their bets are pretty smart within the matching genre. They have that story-focused Canning Crush game coming out, which uh, I think is smart. Um, there has been like sim- more simulation-focused farm heroes. So, um, And in terms of like the blast areas, like uh, Toy Blast um, and Angry Birds Blast, it's not as if they're not trying. They're, they have Candy Crush or Candy Crush Blast style games coming out. Um, they're just not hitting, um, which which definitely gives me a bit more pause. Um, but overall, like their, their strategy there, they are going, I'd say, wide enough within um, the matching genre. Um, just the metrics bar within King is extremely high. Uh, CC was definitely an anomaly. And I think Candy Crush Friends is probably the closest that they've come to actually hitting the benchmarks right out of the gate. Mm. Um, so I think it's just kind of the classic innovator's dilemma within King where they have Candy Crush, they have their golden goose, and they're going to stick to that model as long as they can. And I think as Activision adds pressure just to make that golden goose as shiny as possible, they'll have less and less leeway to try Adam, other things. Do you, I have to ask, like, do you see it kind of like – I mean, I agree with you, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying – I wasn't saying that, that the old king was better than the new king. I'm just saying that the new king is different than the old king, which is normal. But do you think uh, – you mentioned that, that their threshold is way higher. Uh, do you think they have like the similar kind of dilemma that Supercell is having? I'm not dilemma, but almost like a mental block where they're, they can only launch – gigantic genre defining or just you know gigantic games and and that is kind of like a blocker to to release anything because because it has to be bigger than something you've ever done before and it's just it's just harder than to release another innovative approach on puzzle yeah as being a part of a number of different companies that really always focus on this by saying like they put that sentence on the wall and they say, we only launch top 25 games and that's the only thing that we ever do. Right. Um, yeah, that, that's a blocker to release because I think everybody gets into um, plenty of cycles about um, right. Like rethinking and rethinking everything from their core game loop. And it usually turns into mm-hmm. comping what successful titles end up being um, and then going too close to what's already been successful instead of saying like, how do we break out and create something um, that has a shot? Because whenever you look at something that breaks out, it typically has um, you know, plenty of reference to the market, but has clear contrast to what's being out there. Um, but yeah, it is it is a very difficult part of, of releasing games. Um, and it, but I think it's also just the nature of the market that we live in. Um, I think if you want to, if, if the only successful games you can make internally uh, is uh breakout hits, which mm-hmm. would be the case with King, right? Like making a small hit that only generates 10 to 20K a day is just not interesting to King. They would rather for every team member on that team be putting that into a new event in Candy Crush, right? Um, it's the nature of games as a service. It's the nature of free to play. So um, I, I understand where the strategy comes from, but I don't envy the designers mm. that have to come up with okay. new games. And that's I, I get it. All right. Eric? Yeah, I mean, I'll make one comment on what you guys are talking about. I think the city-state model, which I've said a million times, is that, uh, you know, King has, like, been in their lane since the beginning, right? Making great and amazing puzzle games one after the other. And they just haven't done anything else. Uh, I think their mistake was not doing acquisitions of studios that can do something else. I think the notion of putting someone that's made puzzle games for, you know, a decade 
on a strategy game is just absurd, right? That's just not going to happen. The, the, the success vectors are completely different. There's no, I don't think there's any, you know, like uh, skill sets that are de- evolved out of doing puzzle game that'll help you on RPG or, or strategy, you know, and, and maybe I'm being, you know, hyperbolic here, but whatever. My point is, is that they've tried many, many other types of games and failed miserably. And I, I think what they should have done to grow their business is, is, is acquire teams similar to what Zynga is doing right now um, and others. Uh, having said that, this this the, the article basically is talking about this guy leaving, and I, I just want to be clear with the audience: like this is normal, right? The guy got acquired four years ago, and then the fact that he stuck around this long is kind of a, mir- a miracle, right? You know, they, they they make these transition plans you know, ahead of time, in which they have a four year lockup and they do all their performance bonuses, et cetera. The guy's a bajillionaire, you know. I'd get the f out of D, you know, if I was him. Like, do something else, right? Why why you want a headache when you don't have to have the headache, right? So, you know, Activision really can't get a break right now because this is like one of their divisions that's actually doing well. And so him leaving is probably not a good PR thing for them. But ultimately, I don't think this is all a negative. I think, you know, they probably have a really deep bench that can manage these puzzle games and backfill those positions. Um, and I also do not think this has anything to do with performance because, again, they're the only division that's actually performing. Um, but my only concern longer term is this, if Activision tries to get involved with more of their, you know, legions and McKenzie and Bain consultants that don't know one thing about video games come in and try to manage their products or their, you know, their pipeline that, that concerns me. But my understanding is they pretty much left King alone, um, primarily because they performed well. And when things, you know, when divisions are performing well, Bobby just lets, lets them do their thing. Um, so compared to other challenges that Activision has with, um, call of duty development. And I think this, this, upcoming blizzard fiasco i think king is really far down the list in terms of you know drawing their attention and and disruption <laughs> per se so anyway that's kind of my quick take perfect that's that's all that's all, all we right, have that's it, guys. so jk i know we didn't talk about you today but do you have any updates on on how how's life <laughs> Uh, yeah, so life's good. You know, there were a couple of, well, that LinkedIn post that I, you know, that I posted last Monday kind of went a little crazy. And then, you know, that that podcast that, that, we, we, uh, that we recorded with you, I got a lot of really great, you know, feedback, a lot of great comments. And yeah, it's, it's, it's actually been pretty, uh, super, it was a super busy week, which, you know, I talk about in my YouTube channel, but uh, yeah, it's just kind of exciting time. So we'll see what happens. Awesome. Glad to hear. Uh, On that note, we have a new episode. I I think we we just broke uh, the rules. Sorry. I think the bingo sheet actually just got completed. (laughs) JK (laughs) talked about his YouTube channel. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Just give him, give him more views. Give the poor man some views. But uh, (laughs) But anyways, uh, and you're making you're making your videos that are like either like 50 minutes or one minute video. So so you're definitely trying all the different things, and we'll, we'll cure maybe t- and sequential testing. Sorry, yeah, but uh, testing. Uh, so, uh, so anyways, <laughs> there's a new post on Deconstructor yeah. Fun and Mobile Free to Play about empires and puzzles. Really awesome post by Neek. So go and check that out, check that one out, and tune in next week when we talk about this week in games. So thank you and thank you guys. <laughs>